Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, this is like a bunch of stool, and around that stool, there's some bacteria, and around that bacteria, there is me, Dr. Santosh, your neighborhood-friendly pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. What a delightfully disturbing way to put that. Yeah, yeah. We're just like walking bags of bacteria, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's that's not derogatory. I like to think that we're kind of like you know, one big colony of multiple different kinds of cells instead of like a singular being. And that makes a lot more sense about like how much we change even from like day to day and week to week and month to month. You do bring up an excellent point. And the fact that we're having this much fun goofing off aside from our usual amount means it's an alternate week. And do you know what that is, Santosh? Could that be our just like most favorite bi-monthly segment why yes it's time for another journal club yay and this one we uh look over what's been making the rounds on all the social media this week and explain what's good what's bad and what what (laughs) that might be (laughs) trademarked i don't know if that last one is trademarked all right well this time around we're going to talk about the microbiome so before we get into all the fun stuff. Santosh, what is the microbiome? Yeah, microbiome is something that we didn't always understand, right? We always thought of infection as you've got this body, you've got this host human, or in the case of vets, you've got an animal, and then something invades 
and it might colonize theirs first and then it invades and it causes trouble and you have to knock it out of there in order to make the host survive that you know whatever that host is but we're learning more and more that we actually const- constitute um we used to think it was something like 10 to 1 bacteria to human cells um it turns out that that's probably not as accurate as we think. That's more of like a a myth that's gone around. But we ourselves are at least a lot bacteria. How we think and sometimes what respiratory diseases we get and inflammatory diseases, you know, these have to do a lot with that billions and billions of bacteria that live in our mouth and our stomach, our intestines. And these are natural bacteria. So stop like scratching at yourself. Get it off, get it off. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. And in fact, many of them are absolutely essential. We have co-evolved together and there's no way that the organism, the human organism could survive in the absence of these bacteria. Like things would go wrong in a hurry, almost as if you were missing an organ. So if I had to constitute the microbiome and I had to give it a designation, I'd probably give it the designation. Okay. So with that in mind, what do the microbiome, or we'll say gut bacteria, a long dead Russian scientist Mm -hmm. and Jamie Lee Curtis have in common? No, I I don't know. Oh, yogurt or yogurt. Peppa. Sorry, I've been watching a lot of um, British TV lately. Talk about (laughs) a Russian scientist, Mechnikov. This kid, from a very early age, loved to study everything down to like the tiniest details. And along the way, on his first microscope, he learned that the gut is made up of a particular kind of cell, a mobile mesodermal cell. It moves around engulfing and dissolving food particles. And he studied this in a starfish and had a thought that I wonder if cells work like this against intruders as well as against... And he stuck a couple thorns from a rosebush into some bugs and looked that under the microscope, and he saw the exact same thing happen. So he named these cells phagocytes, uh, which means cells that eat from the Greek. Or oh, neat. And he got a Nobel Prize for this, but his oh, first okay. wife died from tuberculosis, and he took an overdose of opium like he was so overcome with grief, but he lived. Then he recovered from his drug addiction, got married. Aww. His second wife got type fever. So injected himself with a tick-borne disease to die with her, but they both lived. Oh. And this Aww. led him to the discovery of the body's natural defense system because he wasn't trying to take any medications, go to any doctors. <laughs> so he's like, oh, the fact that I live must mean that we have a natural immunity which had been his field of study. This did not stop him from making terrible decisions. So as part of his quest, he continued to experiment on himself. During the 1892 cholera epidemic in France, he drank a flask of cholera oh, vibrio. Oh, God. Which had zero effect oh. on him. So, so he led a volunteer from his lab, a.k.a. grad student... <laughs> This is so illegal. (laughs) Oh my God, this guy would be in jail. He got him to repeat the test. (laughs) And the first volunteer, also fine. Nothing happened. Didn't get cholera either. Oh God. So Meshnikov said, well, I guess this bottle's a dud. And grad student number two stepped up and said, 
Hey, I'll try it. No! Grad student number two didn't fare so well. Oh, oh God, please tell me he lived. When Mechnikov took his experiments to the Petri dish... <laughs> what? That's that's the direction you're going to go in? To first discover. You, first you do human <laughs> experimentation and then you back up to a Petri dish? Well, <laughs> the fact that the young man fell ill and nearly died... Oh, thank God. <laughs> ...drove him to take samplings of the gentleman's gut. Yeah. And he found differences in the bacteria in each of their guts uh, demonstrated either hindered the growth of the cholera and others stimulated it. So he then proposed that bacteria of the gut played a part in disease prevention. And if swallowing a pathogenic bacteria sickened you, maybe swallowing a good bacteria would make you healthier. All right. Old school probiotic yeah. kind of thinking. Also, did I mention he worked okay. at the Pasteur Institute where he had been invited by Louis Pasteur after he won the Nobel Prize? Well, I mean, that makes sense. This is obviously a super smart dude. And he the way that he's going about in terms of examining the microbiome within him and around him, I mean, the, the brain work is right. I just, I'm not so sure about the ethics. Well... <laughs> he knew that lactic acid can prevent milk from spoiling and it would actually turn sure. you know milk into a yogurt like product. So after he studied a bunch of different cultures, he mm-hmm. zeroed in on Bulgarian bacilli, widely used throughout Eastern Europe, which is, you know, pretty clever as he knew a lot of elderly people ate sour milk products and and the diet of Eastern okay. Europe used a lot of dairy. So unfortunately, he did not get to see how this would all turn out as in 1916, he died from a heart attack, but famous last words, minutes, minutes before his passing, he reminded his fellow researcher, uh, Alexander Salimbeni to carefully look into his intestines after his death. (laughs) So his (laughs) he's dying, clutching his chest and he goes, Look at my guts. No. Oh, there they go. <laughs> and then That's amazing. That's a consummate scientist. I hope, I genuinely hope that I have, you know, that kind of a death that I'm just, you know, like I'm going down and I'm like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> don't forget to dissect my colon. <laughs> make my eyeballs yeah. into uh, cyborg parts. So now, there's a fun little fact or there's a fun little addendum to this story. So he died in 1916. In 1910, uh-huh. all the way over in the Balkans, Isaac Carasso learns that many children suffered from intestinal disorders. And so in 1919, inspired by Mechnikov's work, he started a yogurt company in Barcelona, Spain, marketed his yogurt as in, sold in pharmacies, he named the company Danone, a Catalan variation on his son's nickname, Little Daniel. After Carasso's death, Daniel took over the company and expanded into the U.S. Okay. where Danone became. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So are you going to go from Dan in out to Jamie Lee Curtis right now? Or, or do you want to teach us a little bit more? Oh, okay. This marked the first use of yogurt being sold with medicinal properties. And unfortunately, that is why uh, I believe we don't see 
Activia commercials on air anymore because they made that claim a little too strongly, not saying good for you, but actually touting specific benefits that they could not scientifically back up. And that is how we get our Kevin Bacon connection. Oh, that's just, that's, and that's not even six degrees. That's like a couple of degrees is pretty good. So, but yeah, so from uh, immunity to Dan and yogurt. Oh, that's really, really nice. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, the, the article that Dr. Josh is going to put in there, it really has a beautiful uh, rest of the history going through the 1950s uh, when we had other researchers um, who, you know, coined the term microbiome for the very first time. The phenomenon that moved from where uh, Mech, uh, sorry, uh, Mechnikov was doing and brings us into the modern era is really a revolution of genomics because we do have hundreds of thousands of different species in our guts at any one time. And the problem that we were finding is that a lot of them are not culturable. You know, you can't put them on a culture plate and actually grow them out. You can't take them anywhere. You can't. They have no culture. Exactly. They're just uncultured and unculturable. But if you're able to do deep sequencing with DNA, you can actually pick out each of these individual microbiome guys. Now, interestingly, Josh, um, as we were recording this, I actually saw a patient with dysbiosis. And what I told them is what I tell a lot of my patients with the dysbiosis is we're learning a lot. We're finding out a lot of cool things. But right now, we don't have the ability to with a fine tooth tweezers, kind of comb out and say, oh, I want to keep this bacteria. I don't want to get rid of this bacteria and move them back and forth until things are balanced and your gut feels And you know, in so many years, we may hear people switch from I'm diabetic to I'm dysbiotic. Yeah. I'm dysbiotic. And that would be so cool to be able to like, oh, you're your biome's a little bit off and then we can tweak it and get you back to Zen. It, it has a lot of far reaching things. Some things, by the way, listeners are too big of a reach where there's a few investigators and scientists and doctors thinking they can do more with the microbiome than we actually can do right now. But the, the future looks very, very bright for this technology. So let's talk about excited. tweaking the microbiome in our next few stories. One of the first, mm-hmm. swimming can completely alter your microbiome. There's a comforting thought. Another reason to yeah. to avoid <laughs> immersing myself in water. <laughs> All right. They were talking about seawater. But in truth, anytime you expose your gut to a large amount of exogenous bacteria, the way that you do if you go swimming, or if you change locations, if you decide to immigrate to another country, then you're going to Imagine have your microbiome on your skin is now, like a protective little mini force field that you can't see, but is warding <laughs> off the most uh-huh. casual, you know sauntering by infections yeah those ones which would really love to just sit on your skin and chew for a while and replicate and get some nutrients off that delicious keratin so Mm. this is a small study but marisa at university of california irvine and her team found that normal bacteria that make up the skin microbiome were completely washed off ocean swimmers in california 
They took samples from nine volunteers at Huntington <laughs> Beach before swimming and then after they had air dried and additional samples at six hours later and 24 hours later. Immediately after, the people were covered in ocean bacteria, including pathogens like the Vibrio bacteria, which we talked about earlier. And those were detected on all volunteers in levels up to 10 times the amount found from just a sample of water. So it really, you serve as a nice little collection plate. <laughs> you're, you're culture media, actually. You are... And after 24 hours, they did begin to notice a decline. So some (laughs) of your natural microbiome begins to reassert itself. But end story. Should we stop swimming in the sea? Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) Well, according to the study, no. (laughs) Just a post-swim shower, post-haste. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just to rinse off. And it's the same thing. The same reason why you don't want to have that sticky, salty feel. You wash off the salt water and your own natural microbiome that you're exposed to in the air and, you know, that you encounter all the time just kind of yeah. reasserts itself. So that's, and, uh, it's that's a small study, that. but it likely is rapidly expandable if anyone cares to replicate it. Um and the question is, how does our microbiome reassert itself? And does it just pick up from bits and pieces, you know, T1000 style? Or do we have to have certain exposures? Are we generating it from inside us? There's a lot of interesting directions <laughs> that this study could be taken. And the most likely thing is that those ocean bacteria thrive best in, you know, a particular salinity Whereas the bacteria that normally live on your skin are used to living in a little more dry environment with less salinity. So, uh, you know, one stops replicating, the other stops starts replicating. And now you just have a little kind of like growth competition. Now, the next story, as long as we're hanging about the ocean and talking about the microbiome, a couple of scientists in China may have found a seaweed-based drug uh, that could influence the microbiome to treat Alzheimer's, possibly. And I really emphasize the uncertain components of that sentence. Yeah, this is th- this one is really a reach. Um, I think, Josh, that this provided a little bit of data and a hint that the human microbiome does influence the uh, progression of Alzheimer's disease. And that was kind of the, the best conclusions to draw from this, the rather lofty conclusion that they put in their paper, which is that, you know, we can alter your gut microbiome to like save you from Alzheimer's, which is, I, I, I don't feel safe with that. It was very sketchy on details. And this is, a report of a paper rather than the paper itself. Uh, But the evidence provided does show, I mean, it's very solid, reliable evidence on a study of 818 patients that Alzheimer's and the gut bacteria are linked. That does not mean causative. It just means that there's some sort of interaction between the two. Yeah. So um, 818 patients, um, and then they were at Shanghai Institute of Materia Medica, Well, the study actually, it confirmed that the drug could change dominant colonies of gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. And then they studied what it did. And in Alzheimer's patients, it could reduce the release of inflammatory chemicals. Yeah. And that's really what they could kind of do from there. 
they kind of put forth a few future directions and they said, oh, you know, could you actually sample the microbiome in an Alzheimer's patient and actually detect early disease? Or could you give them a prognostic indicator? But right now, I think that, you know, if you were attacking Alzheimer's from multiple different angles, meaning that you're trying to support them, you know, while they're having worsening symptoms, you know, from a psychiatric standpoint, and then you're trying to slow the progression and all these kind of things. Like this might be one of the pieces is to use this therapy, which they very, you know, cool name, GV917. No, GV971. They say... Scientists and naming, man. Yeah, I know. So they they actually made this drug. They, you know, GV971, and they've passed stage three clinical trials, meaning that it's safe and that it has some efficacy, that they can use this to maybe slow the course of Alzheimer's. And then you've got a change in the dominant colonies of gut bacteria at the same time. And so you've got reduction in the release of phenylalanine and isoleucine, which are amino acids, or they contended that these amino acids participate in inflammation that give rise to the final Alzheimer's. I think it would be a good like adjunct, and I, and I think it's a really good idea. My skepticism is in that you know, does the gut microbiome really like sit at the center of Alzheimer's? I would be inclined to agree with you. So again, no doubts as to its efficacy, but how that's best applied is still... That's the tough one. But, you know, really, really, really cool stuff. Because right now, if you ask any neurologist and say, you know, what can you offer for Alzheimer's? Uh, they'll they're going to put their hands up and that's all that this particular drug promises to do as well at least in its early stage so now that we've gone from that's true yogurt to ocean to seaweed let's let's see if we can circle back around (laughs) and link somehow seaweed and yogurt Mm, how about through who but that have to be some pretty impressive poo, right? <laughs> I, I'm I'm personally impressed by your segue. Like as a compliment, you're full of poo. So yeah, like I don't mean it as an insult. There yeah, is a search in the scientific <laughs> community, a hunt, if you will, for a yeah. unique breed of yeah. individual. One who yeah. can solve problems <laughs> the likes of which we are currently not equipped to handle. And that of course is a donation for super poo. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this was a collaborative paper done between the Liggins Institute at the University of Auckland in New Zealand and MIT and Harvard. Use the word super poo in their paper. But they did call them there But is, you know who will? The I, BBC. They, they won't <laughs> They called they called them super donors. So fecal microbiota transplant super donors is what they call. But you don't hear anybody from like who donates blood being called a super donor. They're all super people. But specifically, they're looking for super donors of super poo because yeah, they, yeah, yeah. scientists believe, and boy, do we have the stories to back this up, that some people's poo might contain an <laughs> ideal mix of healing bacteria to address different gut diseases. And in the story from the BBC that first drew my attention to this, it 
the young right. one to become a donor because she had heard that vegans might make particularly good candidates, of which the study told her, no, unfortunately, there is no good evidence that vegan poo is better than any other human feces, but they are exploring what makes a stool super. <laughs> so Cut to University of Auckland. <laughs> So, I mean, well, we should start with uh, those of you who haven't heard, maybe your new listeners, but fecal microbiota transplant (laughs) where a person takes their poo and then the bacteria is purified out and this is donated to somebody else who has a poo problem. It is only approved for recurrent or recalcitrant Clostridium difficile colitis. That's only the super donor poo to anybody you like and try to just be like, hey, this will cure your poo. You know, it's really just for C. diff. Um, But now... Also, it does still have to be consumed. Yeah, yeah, you do. (laughs) It's in the form of a pill or you have to purify it and then do a colonoscopy and then do like an enema into the, the, you know, the the proximal bowel or you need to put in a a nasogastric tube or something like that. You you, You have to accept the poo. You, you must be willing to accept the poo. And then... <laughs> now, this is an old... Even though we've taken it in a fascinating new direction, this is an old technique. The idea of taking one person's healthy poo to put into another person's less healthy body dates back to 300 AD God, in China. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> and you know there's a whole bunch of like people, you know, legit and illegitimate, like you know, Chinese traditional medicine that are like, we told you, <laughs> we t- we were trying to tell you 2000 years ago. So even though we're focused mostly on C. difficile, it's also being looked at as a means of treating inflammatory bowel disease and the metabolic syndrome, which often is pre-diabetic. Right. And um, I've got to tell you, this is this replacement of you know, dysbiotic stool with normal stool. Um, it goes hand in hand with other tricks that we're trying for inflammatory bowel disease, um, like allogeneic stem cell transplantation. So, you know, the transplanting poop is saying, okay, let's see if we can get those bacteria helpers to calm down the inflammation, to kind of even out all of these antibodies that are attacking. The, the intestinal tissue on the stem cell side or on the, you know, the hematopoietic stem cell side, people are getting uh, transplants and sometimes they get autologous transplants, meaning their own cells um, transplanted back into them to see if they can reset their immune system. So it's very possible, Josh, that there's an interplay here that may work, but just like you need the right stem cells that will not just go back and start attacking the tissues, you need the right bacteria too. Now, super donors do exist. I mean, as much as fun as it is to giggle about it, and we are going to giggle. <laughs> this is this is some X-File shit. <laughs> these, super, these super poopers have long been suspected, yeah. but this study proves their existence. You know, kind of like X-Men, but for the bowel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like a search for centenarians, right? You know, people who live past 100 and who are still super healthy. 
Well, I was like, what, what is it? What is it that makes them tick? And then this was the same kind of study. It's like, like these guys have awesome poos and awesome bowels. And what is exactly their composition of their bowel that makes them so? So some of these donors achieve clinical remission rates of double the average. And this, it wow. showed that a paper from 2015 found that of all nine patients who had entered remission after a poop transplant, seven of those patients had gotten their stool from the exact same donor. One man's dookie cured seven people of what can be a deadly infection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He is so proud. (laughs) Dude, can you imagine? You know how like when you're... (laughs) Look what I made. No. (laughs) The cure for bacteria. <laughs> but you're sitting down there like a book, like you're doing in vitro fertilization and you're paging through, ooh, look, you know, six foot five, you know, high powered lawyer from New York <laughs> with this time. It's like Oh, look at this man. He goes to the bathroom three times don't daily and has that. a perfect... Don't flush that. Yeah. It might be useful yeah. on the medicine cabinets running low. It was. And then, you know, you have the profile in the book like, oh, ideal BMI. Uh, he's never had a Bristol score south of two. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> listening audience, we're going to come back to the Bristol yeah. stool scale in another episode. Uh, <laughs> don't you worry. Uh, oh, and by the way, I don't know if I got like a good Bristol score or not. I don't, I don't know so, if it's good. I think yeah. it's, but um, <laughs> but it, it's just like you could page through like your donor book and be like, I want that one right there. And it's like, oh, that's a wonderful now, choice. <laughs> we, they've learned that there are likely high levels of keystone species in these super poopers. I think the magazines that they give them when they go in to donate are the same <laughs> with the sperm donors. It's just a museum <laughs> full of like prune juice ads, laxative samples. The you know, the kind nurse walks in and say, "Here's your throne," and then over there we have a magazine, and if you need to, <laughs> you have a video. And here's your cup. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. And then he's. You know, he's all embarrassed. <laughs> I'm so glad like, you asked. And then, Ma'am, this 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 doesn't really do it for me. Do you do you have any other magazines with like full fiber ads in here? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked because the other article included in the show notes is by somebody who actually went to get themselves tested to see if they were a super pooper. And oh, I'm oh, just going to take you through a couple of highlights. Look, okay. Well, so this means that we actually have we we have the metrics available. We we know what the bacteria are that kind of concentrate, uh, not concentrates, con- constitutes. They have enough of the broad pooper. strokes to test for super poopers. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Okay, so you know what the biome kind of like ought to look like, and so now you can actually. Well, go, here's some of the like, things that the, this person learned. Test. So it the story itself is worth reading in its entirety, but yeah. let's go over just the highlights. If having super poo is as easy as eating lots of varied meals, then, you know, taking a dump, could this person be a candidate? Not necessarily. Antibiotics taken over the previous year following an infection had stripped a lot of the inner bacteria, meaning any donations 
in the subsequent, you know, four to five months for the immune system to recover would be a full or for the microbiome to recover would be a crock of shit. So the uh, diet had to change to help rebuild this microbiome, but it couldn't change so much that it wouldn't be that person's natural microbiome. Then it's the bacteria inside each vial okay. that's already in the stool could be used to test for other things, uh, other infections. Then how much do you drink? Any tattoos, any, ex- any incarcerations, any exotic travel? Um, because you also don't want to risk transferring something like hepatitis or HIV, which, you know, until we discovered they could be transmitted via the blood, we didn't know to screen for. So the poo gets screened for a lot of infectious diseases that we don't expect right. to see, or at least not alive, but need to be tested for anyway. Gotcha. Okay. So of course you're checking for C. diff and you're going to check for, you know, enterotoxic E. coli and Shigella Correct, and this kind of Because things. you don't but know at this point when you're making this slurry, uh, what can still be transmitted. All right. Okay. And, you know, just as a kind of a hint, the paper that we talked about in uh, Frontiers Journal, um, they do go on, you know, to say, you know, can we characterize a super donor? And it's a little dry, but they say, all right, Clostridium clusters 4 and 14A have consistently shown to be indicative of positive patient response to FMT. Um, and those are informal groups of bacteria that include Ruminococciae, Lachnospiraceae, and then Roseburia, Oscillobacter, Blauschia, and Doria bacteria. So we actually, I, I do have a bunch of these names. Oh my God, these are so fun. Once it had been tested against a variety of those bacteria and proven to be as effective as the control, if not even more so, it was mixed up, smoothed out, and distilled into a little vial that could be uh, FedExed over to the hospital when it needed a fecal transplant. All the ones at this particular hospital were done, I'm sorry to say, Santosh, through a nasogastric tube that's up the nose and down into the stomach. Um, Because yes, you can do it rectally, but you need sedation yes, so, for the colonoscopy. Uh, you all bowel prep, which means taking a lot of laxatives, which could mean washing away the microbiome. To begin yeah. With. And, uh, you know, the NG tube, sometimes they'll even do what's called an ND tube. They'll put the, the tip of the catheter past the stomach into the duodenum so that you don't expose your infusion to the acidity of the stomach. Um, but it's a good way. It's a well-proven way to donate the stool to infuse the bacteria oh another screening tool it has to be a certain size (laughs) this particular donor only only weighed in at 43 grams and the minimum donation is 60 grams in this corner (laughs) weighing in an oppressive 75 grams the super pooper (laughs) they're using some of these people who can achieve certain on-demand metrics and examining their diets and comparing to see what bacteria show up consistently and what diets are more likely to have links. So a lot of it's still being studied. No one clear super pooper (laughs) sample has been identified. Um, Now, I will tell you that 
with good studies that are, they're actually like anthropological studies that have been done looking at the human microbiome in an urban United States setting versus if you go over to hunter gatherer societies in the middle of Africa, for instance, on largely uncontacted tribes in the democratic Republic of the Congo, um, you do see vast differences in the microbiome and the host genetics and the immune response um, to that microbiome likewise co-evolves to be different from humans, from society to society and diet to diet. So it may be, Josh, that we have the right sauce for people, you know, either in New Zealand or, uh, you know, the certain participants in Boston. But if you go to a different population, like say if you were to try this uh, test again, but you say, oh, I'm going to try to treat C. diff in, you know, the African continent or Southeast Asia, you may need to find a different super poop Are you saying humanity's saver poop could be located somewhere deep in the Amazon yeah. or the rain... Or another rainforest? <laughs> no, 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 no. But just for that area. So uh, there may not be a single super poo. There may be multiple super poos for multiple different... Taking this into consideration, there have been other studies, 2017, where they actually did a biopsy of the bowel um, from an ulcerative colitis patient to actually you know, test certain factors of the host system versus what the bacteria in the FMT, the fecal microbiota transplant would be, and kind of match them a little the way that we match stem cells to see if you could reduce the hmm. chances of incompatibility. Or, no, really? Who are you, you know, going to call? Yeah. So you need information from the host side and the bacteria side. But for right now, if you're talking about, I live in an urban United States, it's that one guy who made those eight people all better. The anonymous but, guy. But if you're interested in becoming such a super pooper, and, <laughs> and you are near Boston, <laughs> Cambridge, or well, Somerville, Massachusetts, <laughs> your stool could save lives. You also can undergo some of this testing. And if you're accepted, mm -hmm. donors are paid $40 per donation of stool. <laughs> that is literally making money by giving a shit. <laughs> you really can. So uh, you can, you guys can go to open my open Absolutely. www.openbiome.org. Honestly and truly, I know we're making a lot of scatological jokes. But I'll tell you the truth. If you guys can donate, if you pass all of the hurdles for being a donor, no joke, just as if you were donating blood, uh, you could be saving lives. And we're doing fecal microbiota transplant in adults with C. diff. We're doing it for kids with C. diff. And if you have the right donor, the right recipient, it's safe. Be a scat it man. saves dibby 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 from dibby 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 colitis. Uh, so you really, really are. <laughs> if you do happen to live in Boston, Massachusetts, like. <laughs> one of the things that is fun and worth checking out is the one anatomical. Oh, oh, are you, go are you going hey, straight hey. for just the? Oh, you didn't even warn people about the tip. You just, you just put the tip right in. <laughs> You're right. Informed consent. <laughs> Santosh, I am about to deliver I, this week's I, I just mean, the tip. I mean, I'm just saying, just consent them before you put the tip in. Phineas yeah. Gage. 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right. So a uh, railway worker, fairly normal dude. And uh, he was one of the great examples of lesional neurology, where we actually learned that if you knock out a part of the brain, you affect its function. And the way that we learned that is he had a railroad spike shoved through his head. Um, I believe one of those mm-hmm. railroad spiky like the guns that actually rivet the thing into the ground misfired and it went um, up through his jaw, right? And then up through his head did not kill him because it didn't cause a big enough bleed to, you know, make him die. It missed a lot of the major vasculature, but he was missing a large part of his frontal lobe, which we discovered because of Phineas is in control of impulse and social graces and decision-making. And because of that, all of the thoughts that just kind of flew right to the tip of his brain just bypassed all the inhibition, and he would just shout it out. And even though some of those behaviors subsided in later years, he became a famous neurological case whose skull is on display in Boston. It is. with the, And I think they have like a simulated spike going through there like if you wanted to see what it looked like started by dr john collins warren (laughs) uh after his retirement he left his whole collection of all these different examples of anatomy and pathology to harvard and (laughs) while the collection while the collection is over fifteen thousand different specimens only i don't know maybe like a hundred or so are on display and there's just four tiny little cases in the fifth floor library of medicine but they are fairly impressive to see. One is the phrenology collection of Dr. Spursheim. This is the debunked science of where reading bumps in somebody's skull can tell you about their personality. You'll also see the very (laughs) first ether inhaler used when in the very first ether-assisted surgery. But the prize of the bunch is the skull of Phineas Gage. And his death mask. I, I can't believe that he got the skull. Anyway, uh, oh, that's okay. it for <laughs> oh, that was this the, week. Uh, kind of in the day. As always, we'd love to hear your comments, questions, now. and feedback. And we now have a couple <laughs> new places you can find us, including our Instagram. At Travel Medicine Podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're online, people. We got a Twitter's. And we got to Facebooks, and you can look us up on... If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links to all the stories we talked about this week. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from all of our co-hosts and friends. And our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, happy travels! Bye, guys! Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.